Okay, so is everybody ready to I'm get ready. started? I'm ready. I'm ready when you are. Here we go. Three, two, one. How long have you been in the Navy? Oh, me blow me life. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we are E14. We have 40 years of naval service. And each week we discuss a potpourri of topics, which we like to call smoke pit topics. These are real world topics that concern us, our marriage, and our Navy with a sailor twist. So join us each week as we dive into the deep end. Booyah! Hey everybody, welcome back to E14 Podcast. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we are E14. And today we have with us, are you ready for this? Drum roll, please. <laughs> please. Master Chief Joanne Orlov, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, thanks, Fleet. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to this uh, E14. And at the end of the show, I want to know what happens when you advance in rank and then what you call the show. We didn't think about it. Yeah. Well, well, I'll come up with something during the show and I'll have an answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we get started, let me go ahead and put out our disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of our own and not the United States Navy or our respective commands. So that, you know what that means? Go ahead. You can take it or leave it. <laughs> his famous claim to fame. Uh favorite part uh, yeah his favorite part of the podcast so again welcome uh fleet and we're just so happy to have you here uh would you mind introducing yourself for us well um for those who can't visually see me i'm the absolutely stunningly gorgeous retired <laughs> fleet chief joe ortloff serving 30 and uh i retired as the fleet master chief for europe and africa uh, my first 13 years were as an air traffic controller, um, uh, actively talking on the air and then picking up chief, senior chief, master chief. And then at 20 years came into the command master chief program and loved every minute of it, both being a controller and being in the command master chief field. Awesome. That's awesome. So I'm going to tell you a little story. When I first came in, as an air traffic controller, your name was spoken as if you were like an action hero or like just, yes, in our circles, in our air yeah. traffic control circles, when they speak of Fleet Master Chief or of, it's just a different level of, of, um, of presence. I mean, you, you might as well be Iron Man or Superman or Superwoman, <laughs> Wonder Woman. Right, definitely. Yeah. That's how, that's how everybody speaks of you. And I know I've been to three air stations myself. So uh, I know more AC chiefs and master chiefs than I do ET. And your name was always brought up at Corpus. I was at Corpus once and Kingsville twice. And uh, yeah, Joe, jo, uh, Joanne Orloff was spoke several times. Hopefully those several times were in the positive. I mean, oh, I it was, it was. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I loved air traffic control. And, um, you know, when I spoke at the air traffic control symposium a uh, handful of years back, you know, I let the controllers know that air traffic controllers um, helped me become a, a fleet master chief. I couldn't have done it without the experience and the camaraderie and the, 
the tight-knit unit and, and the three-dimensional conceptualization and the training and that all helped set a foundation for me. And uh, I didn't leave air traffic control. I went into the command master program. I like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, that's it, awesome. we never leave air traffic control. It always is in, inside of us somewhere, right? Yeah, and you're right. Uh, you're right before you picked up command uh, is embodies leadership and training and all that stuff because you guys hold people's lives in your hands. And that is, I know dealing with the air traffic control, ATC, it's training's huge. Leadership's huge. I mean, it, like I said, it embodies all those things. And we had a good time doing it. It's like one Not big video. Okay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Definitely. So I do have to mention that it is a women's history month. Oh yeah. And yes. you know, at one point we were, we were researching and reading up, you were the senior most enlisted female in the United States Navy. How did that feel? Was it celebrity status everywhere you went? I mean, tell us a little bit about holding that title. Well, first of all, just being a sailor, celebrity status, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and it, I don't know if it's really a, so much as a title as a, you fall into that. I mean, it, there's always going to be the senior enlisted something, whether you're the senior enlisted controller or the senior enlisted woman or the senior enlisted, you know, person on, on the ship or, or that kind of stuff. So you know, I really hadn't thought about it until somebody pointed it out to me during a Women's History Month at the time. And um, I, I'm proud of it. Um, I'm, I'm proud to have put in that many years and that much dedication and that much service, which we're going to talk about later, I suspect. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of being a sailor. I'm proud of being a, a master chief. I'm proud of being a woman. Um, and sometimes that order changes depending on what situation. <laughs> uh, but I look forward to the day when, you know, we don't have firsts anymore, but we will always have someone who is the senior enlisted something. And so I'm, I'm proud to have been one of them at one time. Um, and I'm, I'm proud to still be around today to talk about it. <laughs> You know, and you mentioned service, and that is our topic for the day, is uh, service. It's actually the closeout to our Unity Service and Navigation series, and we saved service for you, um, but one of the things that I most um, aspire to and so impressed about you is that your service uh, to us as sailors did not end when you got out of the Navy. You continue to serve and serve your community and serve uh, women in uniform every day. And just recently, I saw your post about uh, army women, um, the little toy, if you're listening, you yeah. know, the little toy army men that every little boy has played with. Now there are women. How did you uh, even come to be a part of this? And then what part did you play in that uh, creation of army women? Well, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question um, because I, I want, you know, our listeners and, and the world to know that that did start with women veterans. And the way it started really was back in uh, May of 2018, uh, there were a dozen or so uh, female chiefs, active duty and uh, re reserve, retired, that got together and we went on a cruise. And uh, it was a 
brief cruise, I think it was four day cruise. And on that particular cruise line, they do a um, military celebration day. So we all went over to the military celebration day and there were a handful of other women there, but we were certainly outnumbered. Uh, and there was a couple of questions, you know, from some of the gentlemen there about, you know, are you here with your husband or the assumption that we were there supporting, you know, a male veteran and, and we were like, no, we're women veterans, you know, and we served and, and uh, so we had a conversation about the representation of, of women uh, in the military and, and the public's view and, you know, why aren't there more I don't know, women in the military represented in toys or in fashion or in, um, you know, the community and, and, and how long will it take before this becomes a standard and not a question. Mm. So when I was home a few weeks later, uh, I wrote to several manufacturers, toy manufacturers and said, hey, you know, other than the, the Navy Barbie or the Marine Barbie or other than, you know, those kinds of things, uh, specific, you know, hero, um, female hero or heroine uh, figures in the toy market, can you make a, a female toy soldier? And no one returned my reply except Imel, who is the manufacturer at BMC Toys, who actually owns the rights to the uh, little green toy soldiers. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, so Jeff wrote me back and said, yeah, you know, that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm, I could think about it, um, but it really takes a lot of, you know, time and money to do the mold and the sketches. And, and uh, he said, let me think about it. And I said, well, you know, uh, you wrote me back. And so I, I'd really like to be you, you on the rights versus, you know, some off brand. Tell me what it takes. And he said, well, I'm going to, we're going to need to start a Kickstarter program and I'm going to need you to generate interest and start this campaign off and, and, and get this going. And I said, you got it. You're talking to the right person. So we did. Um, I went out on multiple uh, military women Facebook pages and social media and um, we got a lot of women interested. He started a blog and uh, his sister actually does the sketches. And so um, he sent the sketches and we gave him feedback and I told him, yes or no on hair and, and figure and uh, so forth and so on. So we went into this long period of waiting for the moles to come and I would bug him like every couple of months, where are we at Jeff, where are we at Jeff? Where are we at? <laughs> and uh, he would continue this uh, blog on his uh, Facebook page for the manufacturing of the toys. So uh, everywhere I spoke, um, I'm also a, ambassador for the Women's Military Museum at Arlington. So anywhere we spoke, uh, you know, and represented at events, we would bring this up, like sign this and look at this. And so we had thousands of women finally uh, get engaged. And Jeff wrote me back and said, take a look at these sketches, see if, you know, this is good enough and start the moles. And we give the thumbs up and I said, yeah. And so we started the, well, we, he started the mold process and, um, so uh, we were in it to win it. And then a year later, maybe about 14 months later, uh, one of our uh, viewers or readers on, on the um, social media, she had told her friend about it uh, and uh, they had gotten their little, her little daughter to write a letter as well, um, much like my first letter to Jeff. And um, so her mom sent that to 
her local news station and uh, she got a lot of uh, great attention to uh, the plight and to our, our drive. And um, so she uh, helped uh, get some energy in there and some more attention to it. And we appreciate her, but uh, we wanted to make sure that the world knew women veterans started uh, the plastic toy soldier uh, evolution. Wow. And here we are, we have them in khaki and green and pink and Rosie the Riveter and um, <laughs> very excited. That's awesome. That's this awesome. Is so cool. We forget, you know, when when we put on the uniform, we forget that we were all little girls at one time, like thinking that we're going to save the world or whatever it may be. And then when we get into the uniform, we forget there's other little girls that would love to play with these toys, you know? At first, they had the, um, the little uh, plastic male soldiers, you know, mm -hmm. and they uh, did them in pink, in a mold in pink. And um, they thought that, you know, I guess that that would help. Um, but that was part of my initial conversation with him in 2018 that uh, women sailors, women soldiers, women military are not the male version just colored in pink. We are our own superheroes. We're our own, um, you know, entity. We're our own people and we deserve our own toy. So I have grandsons and granddaughters and I have a new grandchild on the way um, and I wanted to have some toys that represented grandma. That's so cool. Awesome. I just want to tell everybody what caliber of guests we have in fleet because I did some research. I did some good master. I used master chief Google and some other research to know that 1% <laughs> of the Navy makes master chief. Okay. That's already slim chances. And then to go command master chief, you divide that in half. Then to go anything above that, go force and fleet, you can divide that into a quarter. Wow. So this, this is special to have you here fleet and uh, anything you've done for satyrs while you're in and what you're doing for satyrs now uh, is just impressive. Very impressive. And just thank you so much for being here again. Well, I'm, I'm very grateful for my career. I'm very grateful for my opportunities. I had some, great LPOs growing up in the Navy and I had some phenomenal chiefs and I had some great family support. And, you know, this is the direction that I wanted to go in and take that leadership opportunity to see that I couldn't do uh, in, you know, my air traffic control capacity. Cause you know, when you pick up air traffic control master chief, mm -hmm. you don't go to sea anymore and you become more in that, um, uh, development and, and management side. And while I absolutely love that, I really wanted to get back to sea. You know, we had just opened up the sea opportunity on the combatant ships to women in 1994. And I'd only had the opportunity to serve once on the carrier and then pick up Master Chief, which meant I wasn't going to go at sea anymore. <laughs> Going into the Command Master Chief program allowed that. And then the opportunities from there um, to apply for and be selected for Fleet Master Chief um, you know, I can't, I can't thank all those leaders that I had along the way enough for preparing me for that. Wow. So tell us, we, this is what everybody wants to know. How do you go from the top of your game in the Navy, you know, fleet master chief to retired uh, Joanne? How does, how, how do you take that and how do you live that? And does it bother you? Well, you know, I had a lot of great 
uh, as I said, leaders along the way growing up and then they retired. Right. So they didn't stop, you know, mentoring and educating. I reached out to them when I was getting ready to retire. And, um, you know, how do you retire? In fact, I do a, a traveling brief, um, well, I guess Zoom now, um, uh, on how to retire gracefully. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a graceful way to do it and there's a not so graceful. And, you know, in the guise of retirement, uh, in, the, in that vein, I would say, I think that I did what I was meant to do in my 33 years and I don't feel I left anything undone. And I think that's the important message going into retirement is finish what you can, not finish everything on your plate because our, our plates are always so full, you know, and we're always spinning these six, seven, 12, 50 different things. And you really have to focus on the things that you can achieve and the things that you can get done so that when you go into retirement, you don't feel like you've left something undone. And I was grateful for that advice when I was going into retirement to just make sure you've not left anything undone. Otherwise you're gonna regret those first several years in retirement that, you know, like if I had only had more time to do this. So um, great other pieces of advice when, I'm uh, when you're ready to retire was live, live your last year of active duty as if you were on retired pay. Uh, and so, you know, calculate what that retirement check would be and then whatever the difference is, put it away and just live like you're living on that retirement pay. And that was very helpful as well. But to the end of that story, I would say, you know, how going into retirement after, you know, reaching a certain point, I, had some great contacts uh, when I went into retirement that opened up some new doors uh, for some nonprofits and some uh, charity and volunteer organizations. And I was comfortable enough that I didn't need to get a job for earning money to sustain retirement life. So we, my husband and I just turned that into volunteer work. So uh, I'm with a lot of volunteer organizations that are all centered around the military and giving back. And, you know, I figured if I was going to spend my time doing something, I would still do something I know and military I know. So uh, I'm grateful for those organizations as well. That's awesome. Well, that kind of actually leads yeah. us into our topic of yeah. service because <laughs> you are continuing to serve. Uh, but the first topic that we wanted to cover is why we serve. Would you want to speak a little more to that? Well, you know, things that I learned over my career about why we serve is that we all serve for different reasons. And not only do we join the Navy or the, the military for one reason, we typically re-enlist on that first re-enlistment for an entirely different reason. And then we re-enlist again for an entirely different reason. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're peaking at your, your higher tenure or where you're you're comfortable retiring or getting out of service. So initially I would say, you know, just from the gut feeling um, and experience why we serve um, for family history. Um, many of us serve because we had family in the military and we've got good vibes from that. You know, uh, my brother served in the Coast Guard, my sister served in the army during the Vietnam era. Um, so that certainly had an influence on me. 
um, for my own story. Um, my mother um, had told all of us kids, I'm number six of seven, uh, and she had wow. said to all of us kids, in one way or another, you will serve. Uh, and whether it's in the military or as a teacher or the Peace Corps, don't care, but you'll serve as part of your life, not your entire life necessarily, but you'll serve as part of it. So I, you know, had that sense of service in some form or uh, another from my family upbringing. Other reasons we serve, um, when I was the third fleet command master chief, um, I took a, a group of 82 chiefs back to uh, Chicago for uh, a good view of boot camp so they could see Yes, boot camp is doing great things. And yes, our, our sailors are graduating boot camp fit and smart and ready with a great foundation for you in the fleet. Now you have to pick up and run with that. So part of that back there was asking these young Americans why they served, why they joined. And at that time, circa 2010, the predominant response was for stability. Uh, a lot of young Americans at the time uh, had, you know, owned businesses or had uh, degrees, um, but could not find a stable job or career market. Um, and they joined the service. And that was that period of, you know, so many of our, our Amer young Americans joining the military that had bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and you know on on the command master chief side of the house that was amazing to me and that was so fruitful for the military because you have this level of already learning how to learn educated folks that now had a motivation to to serve and some came in during that time in fact many for a college degree some were looking for a way out of a bad situation in a home environment. Um, some were joining to, you know, see the world. Uh, you know, when I joined the Navy, that was, you know, join the Navy, see the world. And, <laughs> and see the world I did. Um, you know, so there's a multitude of reasons why we come in and why we serve. But I would offer that we stay typically for different reasons. So we come in for one and then we stay for other reasons. And there's a RAND study um, that's done regularly. And the recent RAND study will uh, really open up your eyes. You can get it online. You can Google it, RAND study for why we serve and, and what those responses are and how it changes for each military service, why they join the Army, why they join the Navy, why they join the Marines. Um, I would tell you, I joined the Navy instead of the Marine Corps because I wanted to eat the chicken in the galley, not bite the head off of the chicken out of bivouac. So <laughs> that's a good point. Very good point. Yeah, I, I would agree that, that they are a little different breed. <laughs> right. I tell you, I joined because I wanted health insurance. That's the reason I, I wanted health insurance. That was it. I didn't reenlist for that reason. That's the reason I initially joined. Wow. And you and uh, Fleet, she joined with a bachelor's degree. I did. I joined with a bachelor's degree because nobody tells you this and you young people listening, nobody tells you this, but a bachelor's degree alone does not get you the job out there in the real world. You need job experience to pair, pair with it. And I didn't realize that. So when I graduated, I was like, here I am, hire me. And, and nobody, 
hired me. So I had to look at the, at the Navy as an option. Yeah. Well, and serving can be very humbling to someone who's uh, on their initial, um, you know, enrollment here with the service that has a um, four, six, eight year college experience or has owned a business, you know, and, and now is coming into the service or, you know, is in their late twenties to early mid thirties. It can be very humbling experience um, for them because, you know, they, like I said earlier, you know, we had this crop of, you know, people who have learned how to learn. So we could skip that training piece training people how to learn because you had already done that as a, with these advanced degrees. But having a conversation with a 30 year old uh, E4, you know, E3 who has a master's degree on how to take out the trash and go chip paint and go work in uh, the FSA role, you know, in the galley, um, that was a very humbling experience for for some folks and, and learning that when you come into the service, when you come into the military, you are serving under a different umbrella and under a different guise. It's not about you anymore. It's not about what you want. It's what you can give. It's what you can support. It's what you can, you know, master in this new environment for, you know, Rick West put it best, Mick Pond West put it best with ship, shipmate self. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And in the service, you must think in that order. And, you know, part of that leadership role to um, teach service is uh, ships, shipmate self. You must take care of the ship, whether it's a, a ship proper or the ship being your building at your shore duty station. Um, and then you must take care of your shipmate. You must make sure that they are healthy and wise and educated and have opportunities. And then you take care of yourself. Sometimes too, you know, sailors forget to take care of themselves. And if you don't take care of yourself, then you can't take care of shipmate or ship. So, you know, it's this cycle of ship, shipmate, self. All of those three pieces must fit together and you have to, piecemeal out your time for each one of them. Yes, that's so true. I love that. And it and it's so important as we've learned recently in our personal life that self is, you know, we, we forget, we forgot. Uh, and then it just, uh, maybe yourself is the foundation for the ship shipmate self, you know, and it, without that foundation, it all came tumbling down. So that's such a good analogy yeah. for us as we serve through leadership. Yeah, definitely. Did you want to roll into our next question? Yeah, yeah. And, that, and then, um, you know, you take care of yourself, take care of your ship, take care of your shipmates. Also, how do we grow as we serve? Can you speak on that, Fleet? So, you know, how we grow as we serve is being open to opportunities and open to the fact that we don't know everything. Right. And, you know, as, a, as an E3, I didn't know what the relationship between the president and Congress and the Department of Defense and the Secretary of Defense. I mean, I knew my chain of command just in case I was going up for the sale of the quarter. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I did not capture what all of those entities meant, you know, and as much as I thought I knew my Blue Jacket manual and, and, and I had read it, 
but still, you know, that chapter on those relationships and what they mean and what they do, I didn't know. And I had a great chief at the time, um, Hal Chilson, who, you know, my first chief, um, who explained to me that, you know, I don't expect you to know as an air traffic controller third class, I don't expect you to know what I need to know as a chief. And I don't expect myself to know what the master chief petty officer of the Navy knows. We all have our roles. We all have our responsibilities. And if you try to take on the responsibility and the knowledge and the role of that position that is six, seven, eight, nine times, you know, uh, beyond right now, you, you're gonna fry your brain, you're gonna overload, you're gonna lose your way, you're gonna lose the reason why you serve or why you wanna stay. So grow with the role and then grow with the responsibility and grow with the knowledge and that will start to come to you. So let's sit down and learn what the Blue Jacket's about. Let's learn about what the air traffic control manuals are about so that we can have a foundation. And so when you ask, how can we grow as we serve? I think each individual has to know that there's no limits in life, but there are limits along the way um, get you there. Um, so, um, you know, we, we have responsibilities as an E4, we have responsibility as, a, as an E5, E6, as a chief and so on. Um, and you grow with that role and that position. So when a sailor would say to me, you know, Hey, Chief, I, I don't think, you know, we know everything that you do and we're not, we're not being told what's going on. And, and so I would use Hal's perspective and say, I'm not keeping anything from you as a Chief. I am keeping you responsible for the role in which you are playing and then giving you the opportunities to learn in those peripherals and move forward. But I need you to focus on what you are doing here um, and, and that helped, I think, me as a sailor growing into more responsible roles. And I think it helped me as a, in a leadership role to guide junior sailors into their next leadership role. You know, the whole don't bite off more than you can chew kind of perspective. Yeah, definitely. Like everybody has their piece of the pie to make or to take care of and take care of your piece of pie. And it's, and, um, He's a CMC. He told me this once when I first made chief. He said, take care of your piece of the pie and it's a marathon, not a race. That was two things he told me. And yeah, he was right. <laughs> you know, I, I just read a quote the other day from Maya Angelou and it said, do the best that you can do with what you know. And when you know more, do better. And I was like, huh. That kind of made me think of that, that quote, when you say, you know, do it, do as best as you can at the, at the place that you are. And then when you grow, you do better or do or no more. And 100%, you know, the whole, you have to walk before you can run kind of deal. And, you know, and honestly, you know, when we talk about why we serve and, and, and I go back to the, we come in for one reason and we, we extend or we reenlist for another, you know, I, most of us would say we came in to do our t one tour and serve and then get out and go on to do other things. Certainly me, I was going to come in and do my four years and 
go on and be an air traffic controller with the FAA and, you know, retire after 25 years, you know, or whatever. Um, but as I was serving, um, I was promoting and I was, you know, learning some valuable life lessons. And I was being exposed to some experiences that I, I know I would have never had if I wasn't serving in uniform. So when I was at my end of my second enlistment, I was an E6 and uh, I had to make a decision because of the age requirements with the FAA. Am I going to stay in the Navy um, or am I gonna get out? And if I was gonna re-enlist at that point for a third enlistment, then that meant I was gonna go at least till 20. Um, you know, and I thought, okay, I'm an E6, so I can at least go to 20 uh, and get retirement. But it was really the fact that I was an LPO as an E6 and a section leader, and I was responsible for, you know, younger sailors, I was responsible for some air traffic control processes and, and that opportunity and where we were going in the Navy was what encouraged me to continue to serve and grow in that role. And so I re-enlisted um, and it was shortly after that, uh, a couple of years into that enlistment when I was selected for chief petty officer and, and I said to my husband, okay, so we're chief petty officer now We'll stay until the first look at senior chief and see what happens. <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't selected the first time up for chief and I wasn't selected the first time for senior chief. But while I at one point fully admit that I stayed Navy for an opportunity to increase my rank so that it would increase my pay uh, and increase my retirement pay. And I'm not ashamed to say that, that that was part of why I continued to serve or re-enlist because at the time in my life, that's where I was with growing children, uh, with a growing home and bigger finances. And, and so the prospect of having a better retirement pay, um, while it wasn't the priority, it was a priority. And, you know, there, again, I go back to the myriad of reasons why we serve. Um, the core of why I serve never changed. And that was to serve my country, to have that ability to wear that uniform and, and say, I'm here for you and I can make this better and I'm gonna protect and serve. Um, but the other sidelines were finances, stability, uh, community, camaraderie, uh, and all those other things that go into why we serve. hundred percent. I think about, you know, I could be retiring this year, depending on the results, but I think about what I'm going to miss the most. And it's going to be the, the people. It's, that's, I miss hanging out with the guys or the gals, you know, the cheese mess. And then just the sailors, just sit around, you know, shoot, or my friends shooting the shit. I'm going to miss that. And uh, that's what I'm going to miss the most, more than anything. Well, I, I would offer to you that um, that doesn't go away unless you let it go away. True. So there are um, a myriad of volunteer organizations that, you know, you can 
be a management role or you can just volunteer some of your time. Most of mine, I, you know, I'm happy for someone else to be in the lead and say, what, <laughs> what do I, what do you need from me? Yes, I'll put those boxes together. Um, but that keep you engaged in the environment um, that keep you in touch. But we're all meant to retire, my friend. We're all veterans in waiting. Um, all veterans in training. And uh, you know that you have raised some great leaders that are there to take your place. And if you've done it right, then you won't miss the camaraderie. You just won't be in the thick of it, but you'll have a, a whole new um, camaraderie of retired friends and perhaps a new you know, business that you go into. Um, I think a lot of our older generation, our World War II generation, our early Vietnam era generation, they missed out on the extended opportunities and ways to stay in touch, mm -hmm. to you know, have that a little more frequently than the once a year or once every five year get together. And I watched you know, many of the World War II uh, regatherings of units uh, while I was fleet uh, and while I was in Guam as the command master at the hospital there. And um, that was much of their regret that they didn't have today's opportunities right. uh, that we have now to stay in touch with their old shipmates. And uh, so you won't lose the camaraderie. You just We'll have it in a different direction. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's such a beautiful view on uh, getting view. out because I know it's so fearful for so many. And you've kind of alluded to our last topic, but I wanted to know if maybe you can kind of sum it up. But we wanted to know what you gain as we serve or what we gain as we serve. And um, I think that you've already touched on that a bit, but could you go deeper into that? They can gain a sense of purpose. I mean, even people who feel that they have a sense of purpose already. I mean, I thought I had a sense of purpose when I came in. I was 19 years old working at Disneyland in my apartment um, and I was doing very well. And I thought I had a sense of purpose. I had direction, I had some education. But when I joined the Navy, Every step along the way gave me a renewed sense of purpose in life, in my abilities, in my um, future, and just all of that. You know, I, when I was a when I graduated boot camp, I had this resound, renewed sense of purpose. When I graduated from air traffic control school, I had this renewed sense of purpose. You know, when I even when I was assigned some what you know, unpopular duties with first lieutenant, you know, uh, when we finished painting the anchor, I had a sense of purpose, you know, this anchor that we just finished painting and is so proudly, you know, displayed in front of the command and it's the first impression people get about the Navy and my command. I painted that, I have a sense of purpose. I had all of these things that tied back to serving that I was, serving something greater than myself. And so what else do you gain out of that? Um, you gain confidence while you serve. And there's a lot of things that I couldn't do. Um, and there's a lot of things I never thought 
I would have to do. And there's a lot of things that I never thought got done uh, or never thought about how they got done. And there I was doing them, you know, on the aircraft carrier, you know, I learned how to tile a whole, you know, ginormous space. Um, I learned to fire a 22 and, and uh, various other weapons that uh, I did engage in um, and um, in some very um, tense situations at sea um, off the coast of wherever. And um, these are things I just never thought I would learn to do. And I not only earned and gained that sense of purpose, but I gained so many skills that I never thought I would need. And then they led to other skills that I never thought I would do. And uh, here I am, a 57-year-old grandmother, retired in Bullhead City, and I am tiling my floor, and I am, you know, uh, dismantling and putting back together machinery uh, in the garage. And um, I am, you know, able to look at a scenario in the home and be able to unscramble it. These are things that the Navy gave me. These are things that I learned and gained um, from the service. I learned how to learn. And I think if nothing else while serving, I learned how to learn. And I hope to be able to repay that lesson. Um, you know, while I was in leadership roles and, and in my volunteer roles today. Wow. You're such an inspiration to me uh, personally, such an inspiration to so many out there. And we just can't thank you enough, Fleet, for coming on with us. I mean, our little podcast here, yeah, right. but hopefully we reach the masses with this, with your experience, with your story, and just being able to inspire more people. Is there anywhere where um, someone that is looking to uh, follow you or follow your inspirational posts, is there anywhere that you have on social media or uh, blogs or anything like that that you would like to put out for our listeners? Well, um, one uh, that I would share is uh, with the Surface Navy Association. Um, and you don't have to be a surface sailor to be in the Surface Navy Association. Um, I am currently the West Coast Vice President, um, and uh, one of the uh, things that I do with the Surface Navy Association is a regular Zoom series, a pod series, if you will, um, called Continuing the Conversation. And with the Continuing the Conversation, um, what I've been uh, had the opportunity to do as part of my agreement with the Surface Navy Association is to expand uh, our dialogue um, to subjects such, you know, as you're talking about with your service and uh, unity and, and navigation, but to also have on, you know, enlisted and officers and not just, you know, our, our movers and shakers and trailblazers, but, you know, young sailors who uh, may have recently won an award or have been recognized for something and being able to have them on to tell their story and so forth. And 
Um, I really enjoy the opportunity to do that um, and give, you know, a, a, another vehicle like yours an opportunity for sailors of all walks of life to tell their story. So our next one um, is coming up on the 17th of March and it's um, Lead, Learn and Laugh with the Women of the Surface Forces. Um, so we have our Coast Guard Admiral, our Navy Captain, uh, and our um, Navy Command Master Chief and retired Command Master Chief, uh, Dee Harris, who recently retired and she was the senior enlisted woman at the time she retired. So uh, look forward to doing that and to others that can help support your uh, podcast as well. Um, otherwise, I'm on social media in a myriad of Facebooks and for the Navy, the basic mentoring and ask the chief. And um, there's a lot of great leaders in those roles. So I tend to take a step back and let these great chiefs and great LPOs answer those questions. But I'm available 24 seven. Uh, I may not respond 24 seven. No, uh, I watched a little bit of the one on the surface Navy with uh, HTC Duff. He was getting an award. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. No, that was good. And uh, I just want to, I was uh, doing some research on you um, before the podcast and I was a friend of mine, Juan C. Clemente had a, it's a book. It said, uh, there's a history of the chief petty officer. You were in there with uh, Vice Admiral Howard at the Navy game, Navy Army game in 2014. You were there in a couple of pictures. I saw you with Admiral Howard. I saw you with a uh, lined up, taking a picture with a, a few other fleets. And uh, yeah, you were all over that, all over that book. It was a really good book. I, I went through a, and actually took it down to my office and read read up on it a little bit for a couple hours. So it was really interesting. But uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, go ahead. I'm, uh, I'm in the process of writing my own book. Oh, wow. uh, so, uh, you'll be the third to know. I'll send you awesome. a advanced Yay. link. But, uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Thank you. I am writing uh, a book. Um, and uh, haven't captured the title yet, but um, uh, we are narrowing it down to, um, I have my pair, I just wear them higher. Uh, <laughs> and uh, growing up Navy, um, uh, but uh, each chapter is gonna talk a little bit about each chapter of, you know, lessons learned. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Cause we always said on the ship, we could write a book after sea duty or a couple of our duty stations, we could write a book, you know, and I'm glad you're doing it because definitely if you spent, especially you with all your experiences, but most people, if they spend any time in the Navy, they could probably write a book. Uh, so much stuff that would make normal people that never served, like, you know, drop their draw, uh, their jaw, you know, can't believe you, you know, went through that, you know. So, uh, <laughs> No, I would tell you, those kinds of books are the ones that inspire the younger generation yeah. to serve. Um, because they can see how, you know, um, this is serious business, but it's also a very entertaining and very fun experience. It is, it is definitely. It is. And we're going to talk about our name now. Oh, yeah. Well, I think we, we didn't limit ourselves. It wasn't a, a point of limiting ourselves. It was more of a joining forces, the E-14, um, you know, with Heath being E-8, me being E-6, we added them together and said E-14 is who we are. So it wasn't a limitation on, on our advancement. And I think that if we do uh, 
advance, Lord willing, that we will just continue to bump up that number. <laughs> if, as long as I don't have to change my Twitter. <laughs> then, you know, yeah, we, we did everything on E14, but we maybe can think of something else to add yeah, to it or yeah. something like that. Plus one or was, tick marks. Right. It was kind of a joke because I used to say when we, when we uh, got married that we're E14, we get paid like an 04. That was kind of like the joke, you know, you know, we're E14. I tell everybody, you know, everybody, and they're like, uh, or I would say, yeah, I'll buy you lunch today. I'm an E14, you know, at work or something like that. You know, because, you know, my wife's uh, E6, I'm E8. And they were like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. So, uh, <laughs> so we decided, to call, she actually said we should call the podcast that. And I was like, man, it's awesome. Yeah. So the, it, I don't know what we'll do. We haven't really decided yet, but Lord willing, uh, we're not done. So right. hopefully we just keep on moving, bumping that number up. Oh, I'm fairly confident that you both will. And uh, I look forward to what, uh, what your new title of the show will be. <laughs> <laughs> Again, thank you so much Fleet, for joining us. Thanks for having me. And um, if you have any questions for us specifically, e14podcast at gmail.com. And we can always get those questions over to Tiffley if you do need to reach out to her. And we wish you fair winds. And following seas. <laughs>